This week on a very special fake outrage report, the original co-host Ajay Raj returns to discuss his harrowing experience with the loss of his father being in a psych ward and now living in Plano, Texas. Boys and girls, welcome to the Fake Outrage Report. Phil Causey here with you as always. And this is a very exciting episode because I have both of my favorite brown people in the room with me today. I have Sandeep Sen, the current co-host. How's it going, man? Going well. And uh, I'm staring right at my replacement. It's, it's very weird. Well, no, 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 no. You're his replacement. Yeah. Yeah. You said it backwards. And I have the original oh, founding right. co-host of the show with us today doing a special drop into New York City. Jay Raj, welcome back to the show, man. Hello, yeah, it's good to be here. Dude, you, uh, you've had a journey this I did. year. You've had a fucking journey. Yeah, Yeah. So true. you are back in Texas now Yeah. with the family, mm-hmm. and you are uh, back doing journalism, right? Yeah, I'm a, well, I have a day job as like a medical copy editor, and then I'm uh, freelancing on the side, um, doing all kinds of stuff, lots of medical journalism, and then... Uh, I'm writing for an outlet called Defiant that's uh, kind of a anti-Trump site that launched shortly before he was inaugurated by the same editor. The editor launched another publication and called... it's based uh, in Texas? Uh, no, actually, uh, the the editor, founding editor is in South Carolina, and the rest of us are just all over. Um, it's on Medium, so um, there's okay. no office or anything. It just has uh, different writers covering different things. And I started off covering uh, climate science, and more recently... I think I'm moving more into politics, and there's kind of a transition. The piece I wrote this week, um, or that's going to come out this week, is uh, kind of talking about that journey that I... uh, So when the first presidential debate happened, I was in a mental hospital in Texas, like after (laughs) after a severe breakdown, after my dad had died, after I had to leave New York City. Oh, you made another visit to the mental... uh... So yeah, because I I had the one visit, um, so I was in... So in May, to backtrack, this is where the piece kind of circles back to like being in Europe, being at the high point this of my life. This is a piece that's coming out in Defiant? Yeah, that's, that's right. the publication? It's called Defiant. Um, Let's catch up with the Jay Roger now. So you, we'll go through a whole journey yeah. if that's cool. Because sure. the people who do listen to this show probably are wondering... That's right. If you listen to this podcast, you have heard my stories, so... Yeah. Well, the thing um, is, you because I remember you weren't as comfortable talking about this six, seven months ago, because I, I made a joke about your new meds, and you're like, let's not, uh, let's not do that. Well, let's I don't know. Do I don't know why... Uh, <laughs> I, you know, like, I guess I'm about to, like, it's about to be, I'm about to publish a story about it, and then that's going to turn into, uh, I guess, a memoir, a book. So I guess I yeah. might as well get comfortable. So back in now. May, you got back from Europe. Yeah. And then you had some family issues go down. Yeah. So I was in, so first of all, say I was in Europe, like, doing stand up comedy and playing music, and it was, like, kind of a, a high point of my life creatively mm-hmm. and everything. And then I came back. Um, at the same time that I was there, I was kind of, um, I was on some meds that were working for me for the bipolar, but I also had the bright idea. I was I was probably a little manic, um, or maybe more than a little bit, because I was taking Aren't Adderall that I didn't need to be taking. Mm-hmm. But I had like basically talked my psychiatrist into like he was like, yeah, sure, you have ADD here, and then because uh, I liked <laughs> just give me the fucking pills. I like the, the fucking pills. Um, <laughs> so then I got the idea to like titrate off the other medication, like just basically take myself off of it without any medical supervision. And Does this happen a- commonly? Because you're you're a doctor that prescribes meds, Sandeep. Yes, this, I'm a psychiatrist. Pe- people do this all the time to you, like where they're like, I need the med, like they'll, they'll they don't you can't. I don't think it's that overt, but you okay. know if you're if you're motivated and <laughs> uh, you know reasonably intelligent, you can figure out what the symptoms are and you can figure out how to like make it sound like this is what you need. 
And uh, okay. this is why I never prescribe Adderall. I, I just... see because you have integrity. Like I don't think <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I think the psychiatrist I have was just like eh, whatever. I just kind of punching the clock. You had your first crash because I remember. Yeah. So when I came back from Europe, also a yeah. bunch of stuff happened in Europe. Like halfway through the trip, um, I got cut off from all my money because someone used my card fraudulently in Brooklyn while I was in the Netherlands. Oh. So um, the trip turned into like kind of a logistical nightmare. Like I was I was like this close to being homeless in London. Because I, my phone, like my little shitty phone that I had was dying because the the international plan that was supposed to be painless and easy to use from Sprint, like didn't work at all. And uh, <laughs> so I was without a phone and like without money and it was like, things were logistically tough when you're traveling on your own and you don't have a phone, you don't have access to money. It's very difficult. So I was kind of like... Yeah in hell and paradise at the same time trying to figure it out and uh so i couldn't get a hold of the place that i had booked to stay in london it just happened so happened that i had a family friend and i just happened to get a hold of him right before my phone just fucking died i was like so if my phone died if one thing had gone wrong i would have been just so fucked um, yeah what do you even do in that situation i don't know i would have just been sleeping on the streets in london i guess and like for three days until my uh, train to Venice, and then I was in Venice eating sardines and bananas. Because yeah, I you messaged me that when you were there. You're uh, like, dude, my my shit got cut off. I'm fucking eating nothing <laughs> but canned sardines. That was, was like awful. Yeah, it was. Uh, Wait, how did you get money for the rest of the trip? I had. I mean, they let me make one big withdrawal, so I just like parceled that out, and I didn't withdraw enough because you know there's always unexpected expenses and stuff that I thought I accounted for, but I didn't. And uh, so then I was like at the very end of my trip, like clutching my last ten euro, like. <laughs> just barely made it back that must have been so great when you got on that plane and they're like would you like some peanuts and you're like yes <laughs> yes yeah oh here's the other thing like this 10 euro that i squirreled away just so i could get food on the flight back uh i was on some fucking norwegian airline or something i, I can't remember the airline um but they just they didn't take euros and they didn't take cards and so i had this useless piece of paper that i had saved just so i could not be starving on this oh flight God. and i couldn't eat and i was so mad um, so you land back in New York and, uh, you know, you were having an okay summer. And so what happened? Because I know you crashed. Well, it was mostly at that, that time. It was like, I think it was mostly uh, chemical that I had like taken myself off of the meds that I needed. And like all that stuff happening, kind of all that stress and everything triggered a, kind of a breakdown. And so I like was suicidal and stuff. And it, uh, my therapist recommended going to the hospital. So I checked in, checked out. They put me on one medication at uh, at the hospital in New York and then, like, right, I should say this, too. The day I checked into the hospital in New York, my dad checked in. And this is all in the Defiant piece um, more elegantly than I'm explaining it here. But my dad checked into the hospital um, for uh, what turned out to be a, a, an abdominal aortic aneurysm. So you've got the aorta is your biggest artery in your body. It's, like, the size of a garden hose. Mm-hmm. And it runs, like, from, like, up in your chest down to your belly, roughly. And uh, aneurysm there is when it balloons out and it had ruptured. He was in Maryland and it ruptured. And he thought he had intense back pain. His biggest artery had just burst in his body. He got on a plane to Maryland, flew back. They performed surgery. Um, when I got out of the hospital, like he... like and this th- is all, by the way, because me and you were hanging out a lot then. Uh, this is all in like a four-day period, by the way. Yeah, when I checked out of the hospital, yeah. like when I checked in, he went in. Um, and then he just never woke up. Like when I came out of the hospital... Like within the next couple like weeks, I guess, because I remember I still had put on a show and I was still like, like slowly rebuilding my life in New York. And I was going to go back to Texas and see him because the plan, the thought was like, okay, he's going to come out like he's kind of under still, but he's going to come out. I'm going to go home for a while. It'll be great. Or, you know, we'll we'll reconnect. But, you know, instead, like 
uh, he just died in early August. And then, yeah. uh, well, I remember too, cause you know, you, we were, we were, you were like on suicide watch. You were legit on suicide watch. Yeah. And I remember, you know, it was almost like shifts. Like I would hang out at your apartment for seven hours and then, you know, we have other people come over. And I remember saying like, Hey, like, you know, what's cool. What's up with your dad? And you were so wrapped up in trying to not put a bullet in your own brain that you were just like, um, you know, my dad will be fine. It's cool. Like you, you didn't have the capacity. And yeah. it also seemed well, it was also like that was wait, the, the, they, the you left the hospital, but we're still suicidal. Um, no, it was. Uh, I I wasn't really. I was just not not so much that I was suicidal at that point. I was just like mentally in a fragile state because I was still. I just come out of the hospital and it was just trying to like reestablish some kind of normalcy and it was just better than i not be alone mm-hmm. not so much that i was like actively wanting to kill myself because that wasn't the case well yeah, yeah yeah well you know what i mean and the thing is is it just seemed like the way that that you described the thing with your dad because you were just like well because dude that's like, what yeah, they told fine. us surgery like, you'll be fine i'll go see him next week like you were planning on it you, you were i was planning i had a flight yeah. i had a flight booked to go see him i had exactly. just like given it a few days and um it was just the surgery had gone well, so I just assumed like, okay, that's he's out of the woods. But what he actually died of wasn't the aneurysm itself. It was he maybe had an infection going into the hospital. He definitely picked up an infection in the hospital because they had him yeah. on uh, oh. a respirator, and they, he was like, you know, had a colostomy bag, catheter. Like he was just all every which way. Well, like hospitals tubed are up. fucking cesspool. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, and I don't know. We think that maybe they didn't. Uh, there could have been some like negligence or something on the hospital's part. Like my mom thinks that and i i don't know i wasn't there and uh i like skyped in and saw him at one point and it was like it was hard like my mom and my sister were there seeing him every day and like i wouldn't i don't know so i was like kind of i guess trying to be the the voice of i guess the voice of reason because they were like freaking out they saw him you know firsthand and they were like really really worried so i was like also trying to be like the not i guess kind of the quote-unquote man and uh well i mean you kind of are now right in a sense in a way yeah i mean i moved home and i live with the family and and i contribute to the household and i'm i'm the only man in the house so and and then uh, adding to the spiral i remember when you were in texas didn't your like at the time roommate tell you like oh by the way uh you're we're not renewing Yeah, so, no, no, he got, I mean, and I, I, you know, like, he, I... I'm not trying to shit on him, by the way. In, def- in his yeah. defense, like, I really, because uh, like I said, I was like, for the last year or so, I was I was freelancing still, but I wasn't, uh, I wasn't being smart about it. Like, right now, I, like, I hustle, I try to get work, I'm trying to, like, diversify the kind of work that I'm doing. So the plan is, when I am uh, come back to New York in, like, a year from now, I'll have a lot of saved up, and I'll have enough, hopefully, enough freelance work coming from different sources that I won't necessarily need a full-time job. But I might, you know, if I need to, I will. But uh, at the time, I was just basically freelancing for one company. Um, I was just kind of paycheck to paycheck. And, like, I was really stupid of, like, when I would get a windfall, I wouldn't, like, put it in savings and, like, you know, be good for a couple months. I'd, like, go out and, like, buy an electric guitar. You'd make it rain. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) so I bought a lot of, like, musical instruments and stuff and got carried away with a lot of things. So, uh, yeah, that's all to say that, like, I wasn't the best roommate. So, like, when <laughs> when I, I missed rent again when I was in Texas, like, dealing with, you know, that was... But he, like, sent me that text, like... So I texted him something to ask him about, like, when we had to, like, move out. And he just texted me back, like, hey, we're not roommates anymore. And he was pissed off because I just hadn't paid him rent. But I just... I thought I had before I left, and it just slipped my mind. And uh, I was, like, cremating my dad the next day. So it was, like... Not cremating, yeah. um, scattering his ashes. I mean, couldn't to go through all that shit in a period of, like, a week... You know, dealing with the apartment stuff and the dad stuff and the, your own mental issues, 
Um, I mean, that's just it. Kind of, you got KO'd. Yeah, <laughs> got a hold for a while. And so I remember when you know that last week, I was like, "Hey, you know, what are you up to?" And you're like, "Dude, I really don't know if I have time for this right now. I'm sorry, <laughs> whatever." And, and like, um, as for the you know people who are friends of both of us who listen to the show, I really hope nobody thinks that like you know I was like you know fuck a Jay and I don't want him on the show anymore or whatever. Like I legit was, you know, trying to get you to, yeah. to do the show as a sense of normalcy in your life of like, Hey, let's do this routine thing. And that way maybe things can kind of be normal. Yeah. 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 And, but it was just too goddamn much at that point. It sounded like for yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. No, everything was falling apart. And, uh, that's when like, you know, after being like already kind of shaky coming out of the hospital and then just have everything happen the way it did, and then I just wasn't any kind of place to like look for an apartment, find a new place, or at least was up to. And we were going our separate ways, and just I wasn't in a place to like try to find a new apartment in New York City. Like yeah, I, just I mean, had none had... of that thick skin, and like you know, I didn't have my wits about me. Yeah, you were like, "Look, dude, I don't have a job or an apartment, uh, and I'm probably leaving in like four days. I, uh, I don't have time for a podcast, dude." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's kind of so... the sense that that I got. It's like, hey, it's you know, it, there, there's no ill will with it. Yeah, and then and then I found another brown guy. <laughs> right. yep. I stepped right in. <laughs> stepped into the void. We subbed him right in. No one can tell the difference. There um, we go. And anything else happened after that, like in Texas? Uh, yeah, when no, when so, did things start getting better? So then when I got the okay, next question. Yeah, so then I went to Texas and kind of like uh, was continued to be just not in a good place and uh, went into the mental hospital again. And that was like my lowest point was like right before I went in there. And that was where I, I what watched. What month is this? Like October? This is September. Okay. And um, that was when the first presidential debate happened. I was in the hospital and I watched it. And there was, this defiant piece is about like, it goes into all the stuff that I just described, like with Europe and the whole fall. But um, the thrust <laughs> of the piece is really that, you know, I was in the hospital. All around me were the signs that like Trump is going to get elected. But, you know, we were all ignoring uh, liberals as a whole, the whole left ignored. The bubble. Yeah, you know, and it's there's more than one bubble, and conservatives are in one too. So we're like we were clinging to you know the polls. The polls say that there's no way, but like there's people on Facebook and there's people that you meet. And I was in this mental hospital in Texas, surrounded by like Trump voters. Like there was a <laughs> there's a like a kind of reform neo Nazi. There's this woman who genuinely used the term towel head without knowing that it was a slur, and I had to explain it to her. <laughs> There's like so I describe kind of the the cast of characters and kind of the what it was like to be in there, what it was like to like watch the debate. Um, Can I, you know, is that what? Like, wait, I thought I thought sand nigger was the slur. Towelhead is the uh, that's the nice politically correct term, isn't it? I mean, it's it's a nicer slur in that it doesn't include the word nigger. In it, but uh, as the white guy in the room, I condone saying neither of those terms. Uh, yeah, I regret saying it even in that context. Frankly, I imagine. Uh, that is the closest thing to the liberals come to actual hell is you're in a mental hospital surrounded by people who are all red voters. Well, it, yeah, it was did, weird. Did you think you died at any point and you were in hell? Like, I don't like, know. I mean, no, it was okay. already, it was already such a low point that like, it was just, that was like politically disturbing. But again, like the thing was that, uh, I was so convinced that it wasn't going to happen. Like it was scary to see how many people, cause I was like, this is weird. Like there's a lot of people here that are like. They're talking about their, how they're going to vote for the lesser of two evils because he went to Wharton. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, it was like, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, well, all the crazy people were actually a better polling center than the actual 538 poll. Maybe next in 2020, we should go on to mental hospitals around the country and figure out who they're voting for. That I mean, should I should new... say, you know, it's like, I, you know, in, in, in the spirit of like fighting stigma or whatever, like it's just the hospital I was in was like 
for both for uh, you know psychi- psychiatric issues and also for um, for addicts, which I don't think is necessarily the best way to run a hospital. Because like the, a lot of the meetings and stuff I went to were like designed around treating addiction. So in a way, I felt like they were telling me that like I had a a problem where I have like. The way an addict has a problem instead of having a problem, the way because it's a disease that and I have. What were you addicted to? Nothing. That's the thing. There was just the okay. the the worksheets and the kind of the, the way the program is structured is mostly designed in this like AA fashion. Yeah, most where, hospitals don't have a separate addictions unit. They just kind of lump it in with the. That's what I'm saying, and it's not the unit. same thing, so it's kind of weird. But I, what I was really trying to say is that uh, I, when I say crazy people and addicts and all this stuff, like I don't like mean. I don't mean to apply any stigma to anything as far as that goes. You know what I mean? Um, so you guys both dropped the N-word a minute ago. Yeah, so, I just am very impressionable. Well, I, when I, I mean, using the terms of what they, when they use the N-word, refer to... Well, you're brown, brown, so you people. can say the, the S version, right? I think that's the word. Yeah, I mean, that's we get called that. We get called that, you but... Called uh, that in jest ever? I've gotten called that in real. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, not in jest. Oh, wait. Yeah, well, it's still know. sensitive. I, I think I think this came up when we uh, did the Nico White episode. Uh, well, he told you you get one free one. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's uh you know it's not it's not necessarily kosher for brown people to go around throwing it around in front of black people either. Although it's it's better than a if white you, person throwing it around. Yeah, I understand my spot in the totem pole with racial slurs, guys. You don't need to uh, remind me that. <laughs> All right. So, are you? Um, oh yeah. So, let's, oh so yeah. Let me up real just kind of wrap first. this up. Yeah. Uh, so that's what the story is about. It's coming out in Defiant this week. Uh, Defiant is a publication on you know the site Medium. Uh, uh, I do now. Yeah. Yeah. So Medium.com is just a. It's so Medium.com slash Defiant, and Medium is just a platform where you can start a publication or where like a lot of pretty much every like website or publication now has uh, an arm on Medium because it's a very easy place to like publish. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to turn that into my editor uh, said he wants to help me turn it into like a longer a memoir, like a book, not just about that episode, but that's like kind of the the part of the narrative, but a memoir of, I guess, okay. my life. So 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 uh, you're in, you were in Texas. You go to the second mental hospital. Yes. And then you get out. And when you get out, your mom's like, you're getting a fucking job or like. So no, no, no. I mean, how I, did it get from where that so there I to was where you to, are now? I guess um, I mean, I was at the time I was still clinging to this idea that I would move back to New York because like that was a big part of it, too. Like uh, losing my dad was huge. Uh, losing New York was huge because it's like my whole idea of who I was and what my life was all fell apart. Like my whole self-concept kind of was just out. Like I had no, you know, like we, uh, my whole idea of a comedy career or anything like that was just out the window. And I was just like, I felt like I just was left with nothing. And I was just at home. Like, and you know, I felt like I was back to zero. Um, That's how I felt when I had to move home from Florida, like eight years ago, you know, I was in credit card debt and I'm back in rural Connecticut. It's like, what the fuck? You know, I thought I was going to have a life somewhere else. And so, I mean, that definitely, I totally a hundred percent relate to, the not only trauma of that, but just the frustration of it. Yeah. The, having to go back to the beginning, sort of. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I was still, I was looking for jobs in New York, and I was looking for jobs in Texas, and I was really hoping that I would find a job in New York before I found a job in Texas. But uh, instead, I came across a job on Craigslist. Like, it was one of the first jobs I applied to in Texas. Um, it was super painless. Like, the, you know, it just fit like a glove. I went in after I sent them my stories, and they, they were like, yeah, when you saw your resume, we were like... 
like, yeah, we need this guy. And so I went in nice. they like asked me a couple of perfunctory questions, but they're like, yeah, we're pretty much going to recommend that you get the job. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to be in Texas for a while. And then like once I really settled into the groove of like doing it and I started to freelance more on the side, like I got the Defiant gig, which is I got through a coworker from a bookstore a few years ago. And in since the time we worked at the bookstore, we've both gone off our separate ways, but become journalists. And he's works with the guy that started Defiant. So he got me that gig. Um, I just started doing more stuff with the other people I work with and I'm trying to expand the freelance side of things and starting to, I started to figure out how to hustle and I've kind of become an adult financially <laughs> since <laughs> it, once it all started coming together and I got, I started paying off my debts and I got kind of a taste for blood. And like when I paid off like the first like credit card and I was like, Oh, I can do this. Like, I feel like a sorcerer Then I'm like started to pay stuff off and, oh, uh, you know, it sucks. And I, I agree with you on that. It's so like the thing is I, I make big boy money at my, my day job for the most part. And so I relate to that. Like, you know, I see all these, you know, comedian friends of ours who were, you know, they're hitting the road on the weekends and they're doing all this stuff. And, uh, and I, there's a sense of admiration I have for it, but at the same time, it's like, they're always hitting me up for money. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, cause they know that, you know, that like I have a little bit of a paycheck going. Yeah, and you need to. It's, it's I mean, nice. it feels nice to make actual money once in a while. It does, and uh, I think the whole the whole idea of the starving artist is, I think, a really dangerous and destructive myth, and inaccurate. Inaccurate you because if you it. look, if you, you look at, the fuck out of it. Yeah, I did, and uh, it wasn't. I was. It made me worse as an artist. Like I, you can't. <laughs> it's just fucking. It's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You can't. Focus on the higher level stuff that you want to do if you're worried all the time about where your like next your rent's gonna come from. There's a reason that like yeah. throughout history, most of the artists have been like people from like the aristocracy or nobility that have all the time in the world to like think and not worry about like the basic needs of survival. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. And a lot of comedians too, like have come into it. Like George Wallace was an advertising executive. Uh, if you listen to Bill Burr's story, like Bill Burr wasn't like rich or anything, but he was like very assiduous about like he went to college. And, and back when you could do this, like, he, like, worked his way through college and, like, paid off what little debt he accrued in college. Well, that's back when you could actually do that. And, like, came here and, like, lived on pancakes. Like, he did the starving artist thing, but he did it with the mentality of not, like, this kind of Peter Pan, like, oh, because this is where I was at. I was like, I'm just going to keep ignoring my debt and be in denial about it and pay the bare minimum and do whatever, like do whatever I have to do to keep creditors from my door. And then somehow this artist thing is going to work out and I won't have to worry about so money you anymore. Did the debt version of I'm going to do just enough to not get fired. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was exactly what I was doing. And, uh, nice. Now I'm doing the opposite of that. And like the other day I was at a happy hour with like the people in my office and I, there was nothing spectacular about like this particular day or anything but like just somehow i was like coming out of the bathroom and going back to the table and i was like oh i'm an adult now like <laughs> what happened well and it is kind of nice too in that moment of uh because i've you know been in the same thing the non-spectacular days where you go you know what i can get another round of wings right now and not have to fucking worry about it yeah and it feel it really does yeah feel like taking nice. like ubers and stuff while i'm here not ubers lifts because it's politically bad the, the adult <laughs> bar is, is pretty is, is sunk pretty low at this point because <laughs> from when you, you're at happy hour and you're getting more extra wings it's the little <laughs> things man it's the little things sandy's been a doctor for more than a decade so he's like what are you guys talking about money struggles fuck both of you <laughs> i feel like other people are like i'm an adult like they have like two kids and they're like yeah you know and then they're like they're like waking up in the morning and four in the morning to, you know, yeah, that's true. Neither of us have a kids. mortgage or other mouse to feed yet. AJ, maybe this is like uh, the comedian version of being an adult. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got yeah. the other, I got the other <laughs> round of wings. I'm, I'm all grown up. You're like, I got them extra hot this time. Cause 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. I paid all my shit on time. So, okay, um, back to the question I asked a little while ago. So, at what point do the things start to go back in the upswing? Because you got out of the mental hospital, and then how long after that until you started just like getting this job or um, multiple jobs? And then you. It's ups and too- downs, but like once I had the job, things started to settle, and I had to like. Uh, once I started paying off the debt, I think I really like and realized like that this could be like. It went from being something that like, was imposed on me by life to like I could take ownership of the situation and take like make the best of it. Like it felt like you know not that not that like my dad dying like anything could make up for that, but even like my family was like you know in a way like you never would have done this on your own. So maybe this has kind of worked out for the best. And this is in a weird way like your dad's last gift to you was like to to die when he did, and like that kind of like is teaching you about what you need to do to move forward. You know what you need to do to. Do- be in control of your own life and not just the victim of circumstance. Um, wow. <laughs> so yeah, when I kind of like that, put that together and we kind of put that together as a family too. Um, that was like kind of what my mom and my sister both kind of told me. And do you think it's good for your family that you're present? We're all together and that's good. Um, we're all living under the same roof. That's good for all of us. I think my mom's still really struggling, um, but she stays busy, but you know, it's, she, they were married for 33 years. Was the death of a spouse considered like the number, like one or two, like, things that make people super fucking depressed i, I don't know the like statistics or whatever but it's gotta be right and, like it's gotta be in the top five if we're gonna power rank it right guys makes sense yeah and i don't i don't, I don't mean to make it all about me again because this <laughs> is your story but i definitely relate to that because uh when i moved back home uh like eight eight or so years ago from florida both of my remaining grandparents died within like a month and a half of me getting back home so i was oh, there man. for all of that which sucked you know credit card debt moving home grandparents dying but at the same time the fact that i was there was 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 really awesome the fact that i got to actually be there for my mom especially and yeah the rest of the family because i i can't imagine if i was like yep oh, fuck you guys i'm leaving again yeah that would have that i was in this kind of you know like denial and wanting to like have my old life back i guess or have what i ex- wanted my life to be back but then once i really just accepted it and like took ownership of it then it's like it's it's good that i'm home now i know exactly i know exactly what you mean because i I, um for a short period when i got home i was like no i'm just gonna be home for a few weeks i'm gonna move back to where my college town was in the central part of the state i'm gonna do that for a while and then it did it took a few months for it to sink in that i'm gonna be there for a while yeah i still have moments like the other like week uh i think just after you know, like on Mondays, it's usually on Mondays. As much as I hate to be like Garfield, but like <laughs> when it's like settling in, like oh god, I'm here. This is my life now. Because I I just go to work and I come home and I work, and that's pretty much it. So I think writing this uh this memoir will help. Take yeah, the, it'll be something creative to do. Definitely. Um, but can yeah, we, can we see the that first part on um undefiant? You're gonna see uh the piece that'll come out this week. I think this week okay. will be um probably. In maybe in an adapted version, but um, in some form, I think it's going to be the first chapter because I think it's a logical place to to start the story. It's like the stuff that's happening right now or that's happened in the last few months feels like the core of whatever story I have to tell. Oh, so you're gonna you're gonna um, like time hop with this. You're gonna start in one spot and you're gonna jump around a little bit. Yeah, I don't think I don't. It's not going to be a straightforward like uh, this is the story of my life, like from childhood to adulthood it's going to be like <laughs> probably the most logical point of entry is uh is this moment in my life like where kind of i lost everything and had to start over and uh also like kind of i guess this political moment too like the way because the way it seemed like the the because the way the story unfolds is like 
one thing after another happens to me that's like in retro in like coming up to it unthinkable like i can't conceive of like leaving new york city like it's just not something i can think about or like losing my dad or you know anything like that and then yeah, donald com- trump was like fast, the writ large version of that where it's like the unthinkable becomes the inevitable in retrospect and uh so that's kind of how it's connected yeah but then i mean it's not going to be like a political book in nature just to whatever extent you can't avoid being political and telling the story of yourself i just want to say that you know it's one of those things where, you know, things sucked, but things are getting better for you back to your life. But I'm telling you, as somebody who went through kind of a similar thing years ago, it gets so much better, you know, because after a while you learn how to do the artist stuff and also juggle it with your adult stuff. And it's awesome because yeah. then you don't, you don't have to worry about money as much because you can, you're like, oh yeah, I can do these fucking 12 things tomorrow. No problem. Yeah. And especially as somebody who lived in New York for so long, like you did, you ha- you already have that mindset. Yeah. You know, you're not, because like, you're not going to be coming back in cold when you eventually move back here. Yeah. I know what, what to expect. Exactly. And I'm going to have like, I know exactly, and not exactly, but I know I'm going to have like uh, enough saved up for at least a few months that I like, if I, I, there, I won't ever live on that like razor's edge anymore. The way I've started thinking about it is like, I'm learning how to like be my parents. You know how you're, you're a kid and like, at least for a while you're a kid. Like, I think I became aware of money stuff early on, not in a productive way, just in a way that I realized that we were stressed out about money all the time in my house. But when you're a kid, before you become aware of that and you can just like play and you don't realize all the work that your parents are doing to enable you to play. Like I'm realizing I have to be my own parents and like set up my life to where I'm doing that work. But it's so that I can play. Oh, it's insane. And and like, I have such an appreciation for that now that I'm an adult. Because I have a lot of friends who have kids, both in New York and I'm back in my my hometown. And like, being a parent almost feels like you have to do all the stuff you did as a kid, except you're not experiencing it. You're just paying for somebody else to experience it. You know? And so there's this, that angle of like, oh, fuck, I don't want to do all that shit and pay for it and not have as much energy and all this (laughs) stuff. So it definitely, I have a total appreciation for all that now. Yeah, and life threw so much at you, like, at one time, Ajay. So it's, like, it's great that you came out of it and that you, like, you seem like you um, got a lot of shit together and um, great to have you here. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's yeah, really good. It, it's good to be back and, here, Yeah, man. and as somebody who, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, who was around you a lot during that sort of era last summer, you do seem a little bit more content and, like, less edgy right now. You seem, like kind of more in control of your, like, your whatever yeah, chakra you know, or center or the fuck people. I just, I just have had time to, I mean, kind of get it together and, like, figure it out in a way that I wasn't, like, I, I guess I was just, in a way, like, always just kind of running, in a way, you know? Like, if we're trying to, like, not face yeah. debt, et cetera, you know? So long. So. Right. Well, we hope you, uh, everyone enjoyed this special episode of Catching Up with a J-Rod. Yeah, well. <laughs> uh, it ended up being a whole episode, so fuck it. Here we go. Um, hit us up anytime you want at thefakeoutrageaport at gmail.com. And uh, St. J. Raj, that's still your Twitter, right? No, now it's... Uh, I, I, when I was looking for jobs, I got paranoid about my online presence, <laughs> especially my, my Twitter. So uh, now my Twitter is at AcidHungryBaby. Oh, that's much more professional. But uh, it just I just have my initials <laughs> on there. It doesn't have my name attached to it at all. So you can't Google a J-Raj Twitter and find me right now. Oh, so. Okay. All right. So and that's why that is. So anything else to expect other than the article on Medium? Just the article um, in media, uh, in uh, Defiant on Medium. Um, I can, uh, when you put up the show, I guess I can send you the link to that. You can like link to it, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put uh, it up. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, cool. For sure. I'll share it. Yeah. Why not? And uh, Sandeep Sen, any, any parting thoughts uh, from the doctorate perspective here? Yeah. Stop trying to take Ritalin. You, if you have bipolar, seriously. <laughs>
Yeah, it's a bad what idea. The f- <laughs> what the fuck? Like, why is this a thing? And why are psychiatrists prescribing Ritalin? And I, I get all these patients who want Ritalin. They're like, well, my other psychiatrist did. I'm like, who the fuck are these people? Ritalin. I only took Ritalin school? once, and it was a horrifying experience. Like, and I, and then I was like, they give this to kids? <laughs> this is horrifying. <laughs> I was like, twenty. <laughs> Especially when they have, when they have, when they have bipolar, it's not a good, it's not a good combo. Just, dude, like, <laughs> treat your bipolar and don't worry about your ADD. You know, like. Yeah, there's you priorities. You're not going to get like some perfect superhuman, you know, type of thing for the rest of your life. You got to fucking take some shit. Like I, I'm a little, maybe take a little. I can't pay attention that much to, you know, realize that you don't want to be bipolar. <laughs> this is not a dig at a. I sorry, this is not a dig at a J at all. I'm saying as a psychiatrist. No, no, no. I, you're you're absolutely right. <laughs> I know, but this goes on. I don't know why people are people are doing this, indulging in it, and psychiatrists are not like. Here we go. So follow us on Twitter at Fake Outrage Rept. Give us that iTunes review. Uh, Until next time, kids, take the right pills.